Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast and sometimes just an arts podcast. But either way, the song that played me in there is entitled Pipe and Pistol from the album No Past, No Future by Space Moth. And to get today, my guest is Mariam Caduce, who is pretty much Space Moth. And it's a great album. It comes out July 22nd, which I believe is just like a couple days from when this podcast airs. Unless you're listening to this in the future, like five years from now, which is totally possible. Then it's out, and you could buy it. And it is from those fancy folk at Car Park Records. All the links are in the show notes to things where you can explore Miriam and uh, Space Moth's music and world, uh, links to the social media. Also, any a lot of the things we discuss in the episode, like the uh, Women's Audio Mission, the link to that is in there. She talks about it in the show, so you don't need me to explain it to you. But when you hear her talk about it, you can go to the link in the show notes and you could explore the Women's Audio Mission, which does great work. Also, um, there is... A part two to this episode. Miriam and I talked for a very long time. We had a great conversation. She's goddamn charming and splendid. And uh, the second part of our episode we that lives solely on Patreon, you can go to themattdwyer.com, and that'll link you to my Patreon. You could listen to the extra 30 minutes, I think, of us talking. Most, I would say 99% of my episodes have a part two uh, that is, lives on my Patreon. Um, Miriam and I discuss uh, the importance of Brian Eno and how he influenced her music and the splendor that is. Eno's been coming up a lot on the on the podcast. I find it interesting when things come in waves like that. But anyway, that's part of the part two. You can go to themattdwyer.com and check that out. All things Matt Dwyer are on themattdwyer.com if you want to follow me on social media, become a Patreon subscriber, or, I don't know, email me. Also, if you if you need a website my partner did my website she does a lot of fancy podcasts some that are far more famous than mine but you could go to kellyrdewire.com and she could design your website for you and maintain it or whatever the fuck you need how about that for advertising whatever the fuck you need that's a good that's a good slogan i don't know why more places don't use that whatever the fuck you need uh also, something that's very important to me uh, in the show notes is uh, the Climate Emergency Fund. If you I, if you want to donate some money to that, I think uh, we are in some strange times with the climate. That's a fucking weird way of putting it, but recently the Supreme Court ruled not in favor of the EPA, and therefore carbon emissions are not being really uh, fucking watched, and we don't need that because we are a stone's throw from climate change being irreversible. And the Climate Emergency Fund helps do great work and fund action that helps spread awareness and and activism that will help us stay the course on climate change and giving us clean air and all that stuff. I have some work I'm going to be doing with the Climate Emergency Fund and uh, some other people in the near future that I will be announcing. Um I'm very excited. I can't go into the details quite yet. It's not 100% solidified, but when it is, just know something really fucking cool is coming. <laughs> How about that? I think that's, other than that, I think that's all the stuff I have to talk about. If you give a fuck, I have merch on themattdewire.com. Go to themattdewire.com, buy some fucking merch. I think that's it. 
I want to thank you very much for listening to this podcast, which at the top I called Conversations with Dwyer. I keep calling it Dwyer now. It's whatever. But uh, tell your friends about the show. If you can't throw money at me, tell your friends about the show. That'd be cool. Tell your friends about the show. Or write a review. Not, I don't, not that I ever fucking look at them, because I don't care. But supposedly it helps me. But whatever. Do what you gotta do. And you're a busy person. You don't need to be fucking writing reviews about me. Anyway, I think that's it. I really enjoy this conversation with Miriam Caduce. She's a, she's just great. It's a really great talk. Her music's great. So please enjoy. I had I got invited to sort of this t- climate change talk on Sunday, uh-huh. and it was like kind of. Like I don't know how how you say it, but like esteemed journalists, activists, and scientists, and so it's really, really just on my mind. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like whenever, I mean, for me, it's on my mind more whenever it's we're in like fire season. That's that's when it's just like it feels scarier. Yeah, and we like I don't. I just, it's crazy to me because I don't feel like we're addressing certain things. Like California, the Central Valley is a major supplier of meat and produce and all this shit to the country. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are we not talking about, like, why are we not talking about that? <laughs> like, I know. Like, that could not go well for millions of people. Yeah. Are, are, are you a native of California? Yeah. I was born in California. Um, raised in the Bay Area. Oh, so the whole the whole damn life in the Bay Area. You ever yeah. split, lit, go somewhere else for a while? Um, I went to. I live in Boston for one year. No one should do that. <laughs> <laughs> As a guy from Chicago who knows what, the, like, there's pretty much the same city. No, <laughs> <laughs> bad idea. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I was really eager to go live in Boston because I, you know, was probably around like twenty. Was living with my parents. Was just like excited to leave and just be on my own. And uh, moving across the country was kind of like <laughs> gave me that opportunity. <laughs> so, um, and also, you know, going going to college and all that sounded exciting at the time. So I, I don't, I was kidding about Boston though. The angry Irish drunk guy thing is totally true. And it's like, was that, (laughs) was that a culture shock from the Bay area to Boston? It was a little bit, but it was also like, it was such a, it was such a big change that I think I was taking in so many different changes that I probably wasn't, even thinking about how different everything was around me. It was more like I'm going to new school and meeting new people and living on my own. And, um, so, I mean, I, I, you know, definitely like the Bay area is really, really diverse. And I did notice that, you know, and, um, but I noticed that when I go anywhere, I feel like it's like, especially diverse here, which is really cool. Yeah, I, that's one of the reasons I we live where we do is because I mean I'm in California now, but it's like we yeah. we actively chose the town outside of LA because we wanted 
we just didn't want our kids to grow up around a bunch of white people. Like for fuck's mm-hmm. sake, that's the, yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's, I think a, a lot of our country's problems stem from white people, not seeing enough other people in their lives. <laughs> yeah, totally. Did you go to study music? I did. So I went to uh, Berkeley college of music, which I feel like when I say that I like either people are like, cool, or it's like <laughs> heavy judgment. <laughs> With Berkeley. Um, but uh, I went for one year, which I think makes me cool again because I dropped out. Um, I was going to uh, ask because a lot of <laughs> I have friends who went there and a lot of guests have gone there and most have quit, I think, except two. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I same. I only know a handful of people who like went the full four years and graduated and got their degree. Most people that I know went for a year, maybe made the connections they wanted or like me realized that, uh, if they continued going to music school, they would never be able to have a career in music because they would spend all of their money, uh, paying for their student loans. So <clears throat> yeah, arts and, and major loans, not too friendly. They, items. they, don't, go, they don't go together. <laughs> Was that one of the, re- were there multiple reasons you left? Cause I, I don't know. A lot of people I know, like, long time ago I interviewed Lori Lipton who's like this incredible artist and she just went and she knew school was bullshit she's just like oh but I'm I got to use their tools that's pretty mm-hmm. much what was there yeah. reasons that you split other than the financials well I learned a lot when I was there but I feel like a lot of it was I think just like uh mostly I wanted to focus on making music and playing shows. And at the time I was getting asked to play uh, a lot of shows. It was like the moment that I had moved to Boston, I was getting asked to play all these shows in the Bay area. (laughs) And that, and for me, I was like, Whoa, I, I never had this opportunity before. And now I've left, you know, and I found it really difficult to connect with the music scene in Boston as well. I found it really hard to be able to like find smaller venues where I could go play music there. Um, so part of the motivation was just for me to, um, sort of refocus a little bit and see if I could focus on my own music, play, play music, and then see if I could maybe get some kind of job where I was teaching music or something like that. And, that all ended up happening. So, <laughs> so it was great that I left because I immediately, when I went back to the Bay area, um, like as a kid, I, I would take uh, voice lessons. Um, and like, I had started going when I was about like 16 or 17 to like the same voice teacher. I would work at this actually my one of my first jobs was working at Coldstone Creamery <laughs> and uh and I would work there after school so I could pay for my voice lessons every single week and uh that teacher ended up being a really amazing mentor her name is Rocio Guitard and she uh taught me so much about how to use my voice but also helped me a lot with songwriting And when I came back from Berkeley, uh, she um, let me work out of her studio and start teaching singing there, which was amazing being like 21 and then suddenly being able to work and, um, and make money in music, which is exactly what I wanted. Um, So I was able to do that and also 
focus on playing shows, uh, making music and which also eventually led me to like going and recording my music, which led to where I am now recording and producing with bands. So with, with Boston was, cause you said it was kind of hard to break in. Is it also, cause I know it's a pretty, they've had a lot of different scenes over the years and I don't know where, if there was a scene going on when you were there, but was it kind of like, was it hard to break into that scene as well? Or was it other things? Um, I think it was like the, a lot of the students that I knew, I felt there was like a really heavy, like jazz, uh, influence at the school itself. And then there were like the kids that were doing like very heavy, like singer songwriter, like wanting to be the next John Mayer type of thing. But like, I had a hard time finding like the weirdos. (laughs) 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 Um, and, and that's who I was looking for. And I did find some, which was great. And they ended up being people that I, uh, ended up collaborating with on, you know, who are on my record that's coming out. And, um, so I found some, but I found it hard to find like, like-minded bands, uh, who are also trying to play shows in the area. Um, but I also, you know, I wasn't there for super long. So I feel like those things also just take time to understand a music scene and meet people. So I'm sure it all is there. I just didn't find it. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask about the jazz because I know it's like, that's what my, uh, a couple of my friends who went there, they were just like, it was too jazz heavy. Like they love jazz, but they're like, this is not what I want to, and that it was very strict in its thinking. Like if you, like, it was like this approach or no approach type of thing. And it was like not creative. Yeah, there was definitely that. I remember one teacher, like from one of my very first classes was like really adamant that nobody call um, the kick drum, a kick drum, it must be called a bass drum because he was like, if anyone calls it a kick drum, like, <laughs> like instant F, <laughs> it was just like so strict in some ways where I'm like, I mean, is it wrong to call it a kick drum? You know, it's, what's wrong with it? Is it, is it a bad word? And, did, you, um, did you ever find out what was up his ass about that? No, I was like, you know, it's, it was, I was a student, so I was probably afraid of him and didn't, you know, didn't want to ask questions. So. Yeah. It just doesn't, it seems like rigidity and creativity, not really two things. No. That get, like, especially no. like who gives a fuck what it's called? Call it a, a dinky dink, dink, dink. Like what's it <laughs> fucking what I call it. <laughs> I just, I'm fascinated. Like the older I get, I, the more I'm just like, who, who the fuck makes these rules and why? What? Like that's, I just, that makes no sense to me. I know. Same. <laughs> who should we ask? Who makes the rules? Did you immediately just like a year in Boston and got the fuck back to the Bay area? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I lived, uh, I moved to San Francisco, um, and lived with a couple of friends and that was really fun living in the city. Um, also interesting and, you know, being in your early twenties living in the city, um, in San Francisco, but it was, you know, it was really, it was really fun. It was a fun period of just like discovering what I wanted to do next. Was 
did you live in like the city Bay Area or were you like in, in the outskirts of town? I grew up in the suburbs um, in this town called Union City. Um, so I spent most of my life there. And then, uh, and then I moved to San Francisco when I came back from Boston. So yeah, San Francisco, when you're young, I, I don't know, was it, how was it during, in its gentrification phase? <laughs> Cause it's, I used to go to San Francisco in the early nineties and it was fucking mayhem, like in a, in a beautiful sense. Like there was some yeah. really seedy, wonderful places that probably don't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, San Francisco has changed a ton since I've visited there as a kid and then to now. Um, I mean, at that time, it was already pretty deep into its gentrification phase. Um, but the building that I lived in uh, was actually like super, super old and not taken care of at all in a way where it felt like San Francisco. <laughs> um, it was like, you know, built in 1906 and it was, and it was, uh, whoever owned it, um, you know, it had passed on to like a family member who had never take, you know, they just were kind of like not paying attention to it. And then the city took over it. So it was kind of in this weird zone where like this building, was the one building on the block that wasn't painted or, you know, it, it had, it had very, it was very old and, um, kind of like broken. <laughs> um, I mean like the elevator didn't work, you know, you had to like walk up three flights of stairs. It was like a little dirty, but it was also, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty fun. It was, yeah, there was, sounds like there was a romance to it. There wasn't, there were actually, there were rooms that were vacant and, uh, me and my roommates, my roommates were both, uh, photographers, uh, and artists. And they were like, we would go into like the vacant rooms cause the doors would all be unlocked and we would just take photos in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fun. Um, I just, for like a perspective to, of, young person in San Francisco was your, what was your younger life? Like, was it sheltered or were you, were your parents like, Hey, yeah, go do music. Cause mine were fucking confused when I said, I want to do theater. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think my parents were, they were definitely more on the confused side like yours. Um, my parents, <laughs> uh, my parents are both from Afghanistan and they immigrated in the, you know, like in the late seventies, early eighties. And so, um, you know, I'm the youngest in my family. So I definitely, by the time, like I was growing up, my parents were very much more relaxed about the things that I did compared to like my siblings or my older sister. They were really strict of like the path in life that they take. Um, you know, but my parents, their ultimate dream was like for all of us to like become doctors and lawyers, you know, that's sort of like, I mean, it's a stereotype, but it is true. <laughs> in a sense. Um, and, uh, and you know, that, that also comes from a place of struggle, you know, it's like they struggled so much and they wanted to make sure that their kids 
had a better life and, um, you know, were, were, uh, stable with their income and didn't have anything to worry about. Um, but for me, like I was so attracted to music at, at a young age and attracted to art and, you know, just everything. And it, and I, you know, I was probably like, I was around maybe 11 or 12 when I wanted to start learning how to play guitar and they were just like, Oh God, you know, they didn't know how to even, you know, react to that. And thankfully my, my older cousin, he really loved playing guitar. And I think like my, my cousin and like my aunt kind of talked and they're like, no, 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 it's okay. Like playing music is fine. You know, don't worry. Like, and I, and I think that in their minds, like they went straight to like the rock and roll stereotype of like, you're going to play guitar, you're going to do drugs. It's going to be mayhem, you know? And it, but for me, you know, obviously for a lot of people, it's not like that at all. Um, it's just like, you want to play guitar because you want to express yourself in, in this musical way. And, um, and so they, they did buy me my first guitar when I was, uh, 12 for my birthday and that changed my whole life, you know? Um, and they were supportive in ways where they, like my mom at points would, helped me pay for guitar lessons here and there. And, um, I think for them, they were more like, you know, keep it as a hobby. Uh, and then like, go get your real job, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's, you know, that's like, I also, I also understand like from a parent standpoint, <laughs> feeling that way. Uh, cause it's, it's, it's difficult being a musician. It's difficult making money as a musician. Everybody knows that, you know, and for parents, it's like, well, we don't want to worry about you. We want you to be okay. So maybe just do that other thing it'll make us feel better. And, um, but I think that for me, um, I, there was just like no way that I could not do music. I, I did try at a point to be like, okay, let me try to like, let me listen to my parents and try to have a more traditional career. And, um, I think I, I was like, all right, I'm going to be a doctor. And they were like, uh, and I went to like one, like one science class in college. And I was like, nope, (laughs) I cannot do this. Um, And I am not going to be a doctor. And I came home and I was like, mom, dad, I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to, I'm going to start taking music classes in community college. And then that's when I transferred out to Berkeley. Um, and I think the point where my parents became supportive was when they started to see me just make money off of music in some way, whether that was teaching and now they're super supportive. They're like very excited and happy that I'm doing it, but they were definitely very scared initially. (laughs) Was there like a specific moment where it clicked and you're like, this is it, this is my life. This is going to be what I do no matter what. Yes. Um, I think that. I mean, I I think that moment for me was the moment just realizing that like, I am attempting this other career path and there's just like, no, there's just no other way. Um, and I have, I have to just pursue this was, was when I tried to, you know, try to become a doctor. But I think before that, I, I mean, I remember moments from being much younger, you know, like probably, um, as young as like six or seven years old where, uh, my parents used to own a diner 
um, that my whole family ran when I was a kid. And uh, I hated preschool. So I was probably younger, actually. I was probably more like four or five then. I hated preschool. I absolutely hated it. I, I would cry every single day at preschool. And my parents took me out because I was so miserable. And they would take me to their diner every single day instead. That's <laughs> awesome. Yes, it was amazing. Um, and uh, and I would, you know, sit out back, like, in their office, and I would draw a lot. And I would also hear whatever was on, uh, you know, the radio uh, in the diner that was playing. And then, you know, I would always, like, sing along to whatever uh, was playing over there. And I would annoy everybody there because I'd, like, sing pretty loud uh, out there. Uh, but then also after they would close up like my dad and I would drive from the diner to home. And that's when like, I would turn the radio up and I, and I do remember this really like specific moment as a kid where I stuck my head out the window while my dad was driving. I was just like singing like as loud as possible, like whatever was playing on the radio. And I swear I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I mean, I mean, here's the thing about memories that are really weird. Like, like the timeline of memories where you're like, oh yeah, I was like five, but I was probably listening to Britney Spears, but I don't think that would be possible <laughs> when I think about that. <laughs> so it wasn't Britney Spears. It was something like probably, uh, it was, I know that it was like a, a very like popular pop song and I was just like singing as loud as possible. And I was like, I want to do music. <laughs> And that, and I feel like that feeling, that passion and just like excitement for music has been with me from a very young age. And, and I just like, it took me time to really understand that that was something that I wanted to make a living out of, you know, that I, that that was even possible. So how long did it take you before you started writing your own music? Well, I started to, um, I started to write poetry when I was like in elementary school. Um, and then that led to songwriting probably I'd say around like shortly after I got my guitar and I started to learn how to play chords and, and play along to songs. So around like 13, 14, I started to write my own songs. Yeah. Were you, do you remember what those were like? Um, really bad. <laughs> are you are you sure? <laughs> um, you know, I feel like I I recently discovered like this box of old cassettes um that were these like early early recordings of mine that I like when I was young uh my my mom had bought me this cassette rec uh, recorder from the grocery store is literally like from Lucky's. Like we were at the grocery store, she was getting stuff. And I was like in, in like whatever small, like corner of electronic equipment was at the grocery store. And I was like, Oh, cassette player. And uh, for a long time I would record, you know, whether it was like covers of songs or the songs that I was writing um, on onto that cassette recorder. And uh, I, I, haven't listened to them yet, but I, but I did find the box of that. So I'll let you know. <laughs> what is keeping you from listening to them? 
Um, nothing. I mean, I guess time, like I just, I recently got it. Like, like I found it like a couple of days ago. So, um, Oh, wow. Yeah. I just got to sit down and I didn't know if it was like, uh, I just, I know if I see some of my early work or if I were to, I would not want to live anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I was more excited because I was like, I bet these sound really distorted. Like, I bet they're just completely, because I remember it always sounded like completely crushed uh, out of this cassette recorder in a cool, I mean, in a cool way to me, but I was just, I was just excited to see what it would sound like or like if the, or if the tape had warbled or, you know, like got all warped or something, like it'd probably sound pretty cool. So what if that is your next album and you don't know it yet? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then you're yeah. hailed this huge genius. I know. What will I do? <laughs> back, who were the people that you were sort of shape who were shaping your sort of music? Uh, that would, I went a really weird way of asking who you were listening to. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to sound smart. Um, my my siblings were uh, a great influence in the music that I listened to. Um, my my brother and sister. Uh, I mean, they're. I think my brother's maybe like eight years older than me. My sister's like maybe about 13 years older than me. So their range of music that they would, uh, that they would listen to, um, was, you know, a lot older, but cool. Um, and I think one of the, one of the bands that I think we all universally loved was Depeche Mode and Depeche Mode was just a band like when I was young and had heard it earlier on I was just so excited and impressed by and I spent a lot of time singing along to their songs and one uh one of their songs um I almost sang at my eighth grade talent show (laughs) and and I think like I, I auditioned, you know, this will kind of tell you a lot about what music I was listening to as an eighth grader. I auditioned with two songs. One was Depeche Mode and the other was Evanescence, <laughs> Bring Me to Life. And um, at the time, uh, Bring Me to Life was very popular and uh, I think when I auditioned, like the, I think it was the choir directors holding the talent show, and they were like, uh, they thought that me singing Depeche Mode as an eighth grader was really weird. Like singing "Enjoy the Silence" was a weird thing to do, and so they were like, "You should sing Evanescence. Uh, that one's a better choice." Which now looking back, I'm like, was it? <laughs> Um, it was like you were dealing with record executives, people exactly. who don't know what they're talking about, trying to tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah. Looking back, I, I wish that I would have listened to my instincts and done enjoy the silence. Cause that's the song that I truly loved and I still do. Um, but you know, like sometimes you gotta, sometimes you gotta impress the record executives and that's what happens. <laughs> I know that I know you were a kid 
but that not trusting your instincts, did, were you conscious of that at the moment or were you like afterwards you're like, fuck, I should have done what I wanted to do? Or did you? I don't think I was conscious of that at the moment. I, I think like I was easily swayed in that moment because it was like my first performance and I wanted it to go well and I wanted people to like it. And so, uh, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go with the one that other people think are, is going to be a good performance. And in, in retrospect, it was like a totally weird performance because it's like, I was singing, bring me to life by Evanescence. And I was wearing like this very like gothy, black and white dress. So, and I'm like in eighth grade, uh, which, uh, I mean, I think everyone else was like, you know, showing how they could like use a hula hoop or something, you know, like it was just, <laughs> it was just very like innocent and sweet. <laughs> Were you gothy already? Kind of, did you move and did you move closer to being Goth. No, I, I kind of wasn't, which is really funny. I feel like maybe uh, like kids probably just like automatically maybe called me a goth because, because I like, I mean, my hair is naturally black and then like I wore eyeliner and, but it was just, you know, that was also like a stereotype, but I, I feel like I, I listened and, uh, to more like, like, pop punk like emo music at the time so I was more like wearing my checkered vans and band t-shirts you know but then like kids probably still called me goth anyway because <laughs> they didn't know was there a lot of the bay area punk going on in a, at that time I know there was that there was a big scene pre and post green day to um I think I mean I know there was I think I wasn't a hundred percent tapped into like all of the Bay area punk stuff at the time because I was kind of just discovering music. And, and one of the, I mean, one of the other people who, uh, who connected me to a lot of great music was my best friend, Jenna, who I grew up with her older sister, Monique listened to a lot of cool bands. She was like three years or four years older than us. And at the time, like, you know, I, I was listening to like a lot of like pop, pop punk, like, Fueled by ramen bands, um, and, uh, it, I, and so, I don't know. Fueled by ramen is that? Oh, it it was just like a really popular. It's a really popular record label uh, for like emo rock punk punk like emo pop punk music. Yeah, um, and uh, and and I I I was listening to more at that time they were I didn't I thought that they were like you know in quotes like underground <laughs> uh, but like but like really at the time they were like popular bands and I just didn't know that you know because I was in eighth grade um but yeah yeah I emo missed me somehow I don't know I don't know it was, I'm, I'm emo illiterate with little blurts of knowledge that's okay <laughs> Thank you for your support. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I I don't know if this pretty, but when you said you went to Boston, you were looking for the, for lack of a better word, the weirdos. Did was there a, a time in say your high school or where you started looking for the weirdos, or feel like you identified with some sort of group that you weren't among? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of my friends from high school. I made through being in drama club and, um, <laughs> I just like the face you made. 
Um, and uh, I, I was both in drama club and an improv club and that just connected to me to like, just the greatest, like most, you know, arty weirdos and very like, um, just like wonderful, beautiful people. And I, uh, I'm so thankful for have like having that in high school. Cause it's such a hard time. And my high school was really big. It was, there were 4,000 kids in my high school. It's a fucking town. Uh-huh. I know. Um, and, uh, and so to find like a group of people that you identify with and just feel connected with was really amazing. Um, yeah, I feel like being a drama club and improv club just helped me just break out of my shyness, which I am like a shy person. Um, and it really helps me just get out of that and connect with people and go on stage and have fun. So what kind of stuff did you do in improv club? Oh man. Uh, Hmm. I mean, was it more games or were you doing, I come, I have a big, I did second city and shit in Chicago. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I did more, it was more games like, you know, just like, um, I feel like I just remember where it would be like a subject of some sort. And then you'd go, you would have to like walk in on someone's scene and, you know, and just like make shit up. And (laughs) it's pretty hip that your school had an improv club. Like I don't hear of that much. I started one like that was, it was so vague that I was like, well, we should start one just because it's what I wanted to do at the time. And so I was trying to take matters in my own hands. Yeah. I mean, I I think that, I mean, part of being in a school with 4,000 kids was that it was the only high school in the city or in that town. And so um, I think there was just a lot more funding for things like that because of because of that aspect. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, the drama club was pretty great. The improv club was pretty great. Um, and I mean, they, they just had a whole bunch of different, uh, extracurricular programs. Like one of the things that I did also did in high school was, um, electronic media and production, which basically is like AV club. (laughs) 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 Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, in, um, I think it was like 11th and yeah, 11th, my junior and senior year, uh, is when I joined EMP and, um, that consisted of both being on the morning TV show, like the news. We had one of those. Yeah. It was like, it was honestly like a TV show high school in a way. I was going to say, this is like (laughs) crazy. So, so my best friend, Jenna, who I had mentioned earlier, whose sister introduced me to a lot of music. So she and I were the hosts on on what was called Logan live. And, um, and so like every morning it would be like the two of us just being like, good morning, James Logan high school. And it was just like us like being like the weather today is blah, blah, blah. After school, there's going to be a game, uh, you know, and it, and it was just, uh, it was partially that. And then the other side of it was our uh, teacher, uh, Mr. Reardon. He would tell us, give us like assignments to create videos and learn how to use Final Cut Pro um, 
I also learned how to wrap cables in EMP. So like, that's a really big thing as an audio engineer, like wrapping cables properly, people get really specific about it. And so I learned how to do that at a, at, in high school um, because of EMP. Um, but one of the things that I did kind of going back, this is not quite emo, but it was like around that time of like, like that era of music was, uh, did you ever listen to the Aquabats? This is more like ska. Uh, I, I, I know the Aquabats, but I'm not, that's, I'm not very familiar. So I, uh, I don't even know if I should tell you this cause maybe I'm revealing an embarrassing story uh, or a, an embarrassing thing, but I, um, like an EMP, uh, one of the thing, I think like we had to, uh, make do an assignment involving music and one of the things that um, like my group wanted to do was and it was my by my group I mean like my friends um, <laughs> uh, uh, was to create a music video and uh, I we decided to do a music video on this song by the Aquabats called Pool Party and uh, and so literally like at the time one of our friends had just uh, graduated and he had like immediately moved out and had gotten his own apartment and he had a pool in his uh, like apartment complex. So we, it was literally just like me and like four friends, like shooting like the music video for the Aquabats pool party. And, um, and it's, and it's the funniest thing because it's there's only like two of us in the pool or maybe three of us in the pool um, in the whole video. Uh, and it's just us like jumping around and like, you know, we have uh, like just, you know, pool toys or whatever. And um, I think like I completely forgot about that video, but I, I, I think when I finished it, I uploaded it to YouTube <laughs> And then, like, I swear to God, like, eight years passed, and I never thought about this video ever. And then I went, like, I looked online, and this video had, like, I mean, it wasn't a ton, but it had, like, 100,000 views or something a, like that. That's a lot. And, and I feel like the Aquabats just took that as like their official music video or something because like they never took it down, you know? Um, and like, there were so many, there were so many like funny comments just making fun of the fact that it's like a music video called pool party. And there were like three kittens in a pool, uh, having fun. Is it still up? I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure. Are you, are I'm you purposely? Tell, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> And your high school is fucking like fantasy land. We barely now that I look back at it, it does seem that way, but I guess in my mind, like high school is also so brutal. So I just have I have that uh imagery in my mind as well. But but talking about it, yeah, I mean it, it was really like amazing in in having um so much access to um to just like electronic equipment, learning how to make music videos, like doing the TV show. <laughs> it, is, it does sound like a weird, like dream, like TV show high school. And it was a public school, you know? Um, so that's how high school, I mean, that's how it should be. Not to, It should be. Absolutely. And I'm sure that host of the TV sh morning show was, had to be a coveted spot among the other performer kids, right? Oh yeah, I think so. Did you but say I think 
but I feel like, you know, like in my mind, I was like, yeah, doing that, that's like what the cool people do. But actually it was definitely not. It was like definitely like the nerd, like the nerdiest thing you could do is like be the host on Logan Live. Cause that's when like nobody pays attention. Everyone's just like, you know, like throwing like, uh, like crumpled up pieces of paper at the TV and just like. <laughs> also like a TV show. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, but that's I don't know I just Because you said High school is horrible And, and I was I was like Because it was for me And I was like Who is it good for Other than the Fucking asshole Football player guy like, I don't was, know. It, was it terrible For them too I don't know Probably not I think it's just a I think it's just a Hard It's just a Weird period of life You know Yeah When You're just growing And a lot's A lot's changing Uh when you got back from Boston and you started playing around, how, what, what is the, I guess what I'm trying to get to is what is the sort of the origin of, of your band or your album and the sound and the music that you're making now? Cause is that too broad of a, did I just ask a really broad question? <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, no, it's a great question. So, um, I think, uh, when I when I came back from Boston and I started to teach, I really wanted to uh, work on my own music and record an album. And one of the first things that I did when I got back, it was literally actually like days after I got back, I went and recorded an EP at uh, a studio in that was in San Francisco and is currently in Oakland called Tiny Telephone Recording. And um, the person that I recorded with was John Vanderslice, who owned the studio, and he produced um, the EP. And um, it and working with him just opened me up to this whole world of analog recording and um, and being in that studio just immediately made me wish that I was there all the time. And um, both like in just, it's fun to be around studio equipment, but also it's so fun to work on music all the time. And, and it's so fun to make music with people who you align with creatively. And so um, that introduction to working at Tiny Telephone and working with him uh, eventually led to like my own realization that I wanted to become a recording engineer and a producer. And so I started to pursue that and I took uh, classes at Women's Audio Mission. And I also interned at Women's Audio Mission in San Francisco, which is a nonprofit recording studio in San Francisco run entirely by women. Um, And it's maybe the only studio, I don't know if it still is. I think there are others that are solely run by women now, but um, they're an amazing, amazing uh, nonprofit. And, um, and I learned, uh, like the introduction of recording and signal flow over there. And I interned both there and at tiny telephone at the same time. And during that time, I really wanted to learn more about recording both. So I could help other bands record learn how to use a recording studio, but also so I could record my own music in a way that, you know, sounded cool and sounded good where like the ideas in my head 
actually sounded, you know, like how I imagined it and not like complete dog shit, you know, which a lot of the time you record yourself. And I'm sure a lot of musicians who have like some kind of like bedroom home recording setup run into this where they're just like, I'm recording and it just is the thing, this grand idea that I have is just not happening. Why? You know? And, um, and I, and I really wanted to learn how to get past that, how to make like really cool sounding recordings on my own. And I think, I mean, that whole journey of learning how to be a producer and working with other bands led to my own experimentations, uh, in the studio, um, which started my project space moth. Um, and so the, some of the songs on the new record are songs where I was on my early stages of discovery with recording and then just kept like working on these songs until they sounded how I had imagined them to sound. Do the, Dude, <laughs> did you achieve the exact sound you had in your head? And can I stutter again? <laughs> um, I'd say, I'd say that it's really difficult to get the exact, exact sound that I have in my head, but. I feel like I got as close as humanly possible, <laughs> you know, to like translating a sound or, or an idea and then turning it into reality. I think that in the past, I didn't really even know how to describe it. It would be more like, I don't know, something spacey. And it's like, well, what does that even mean? Spacey? Like, do you want it to have more reverb? Do you want it to have delay? Do you want it to sound like it's in a room? Do you want it to sound like it's outside? Do you want, you know, like there's so many options. And so I think that I wanted to be able to take an idea and then just be able to be like, oh yeah, that sound. Okay. Yeah. You just have to get a guitar, put a distortion pedal on it get a, like a cool um, tremolo pedal and put a, put a pitch shifter on it or, you know, just like, just like keep adding things to make this sound and you'll get there. Um, and I feel like now I can get closer to that where someone will be like, yeah, like what's this effect happening in this song? I really like it. And I want that for my own song, something similar. And then a lot of the time I can listen to it and be like, oh yeah, this is what they're doing. You can, we can use this, 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 this effect and it'll kind of get there. Or they're using this keyboard or they're, you know, um, in a really tight drum space or they're in a really big room or, you know, so it's easy from easier for me to point out how a sound is achieved or how a feeling can be achieved through sound. Um, so did that answer the question? Yeah. I think, <laughs> it's just such a crazy concept, I think, to some, because I obviously don't play music, but I, for it to be like, I have a sound in my head and then to create it is a, it's a, it's a hard concept for a dum-dum like me to grasp. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, go ahead. Oh, I was, I mean, it is, it is really weird. It's a, it's a weird thing to, to it, do. Definitely. Is it? sort of like a journey that you like I got this thing in my head and I got to figure out how to get it out is there is that sort of like this and journey 
<laughs> yeah, it, it sort of is, you know, and that journey is through like different effects or boxes or knobs or instruments. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it is, you, it's, you're kind of like chasing for something. And then when you find it, you just know that that's right. Or a lot of the time what happens is that you have an idea, you start chasing that idea, but actually something way cooler happens that you didn't even know you could do. And then, and then you're like, holy shit, this sounds way better than I imagined, (laughs) you know? And that's like the best feeling is when you can get, when you can try to follow one path and then you end up on this greater path that you didn't even realize that you could get to. Do you learn things about yourself while you're in that journey? Yeah. I mean, I think that the process of recording is incredibly fun and exciting, but it's also really frustrating at times, you know, because even though what I described sounds like that's the best, you know, it's also hard and it's challenging. Sometimes you have days where you're working on something and you're like, wow, this is really not happening today. Or this sound that I had imagined is just not working, you know, and I just have to move on. And I think that, you know, some of the things that I've learned with recording and making music is that like the bad creative days are also important as like, I don't know, sounds really dumb, but I feel like you have to go through the bad days of like, "Eh, I'm not really getting anything. I'm not getting any words that I want. I'm not, I'm not getting the sound that I want, or it just doesn't feel right. I feel like you have to kind of like get past those. And then like your next two tries, you'll, you'll get to something better. Yeah. It's I, yeah, I've just I've been reading a lot of music bios and like about Mingus and I just Duke Ellington and there's that there's always that like I had this sound in my head and I'm like what the fuck is the sound and, but like I I know different creative processes and I know that like weird space of like you're blocked or nothing's coming and you're like what the fuck <laughs> it's like I I had that this morning where I was like what am I doing with my time like I should just go watch something. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Don't be a passive guy in society. (laughs) Honestly, I think that's like having time to be passive is also important. And I think like, uh, like one of the things that helps me a lot, especially when I've had like a really creatively packed day is to just like watch TV or just watch something that is completely like mindless you know um because I feel like that helps just sometimes clear the palate a little bit I'm just like god like I just I just tried so hard to like create this thing and whether it worked or didn't work like I just need a break you know and I think that's do you have moments of when you turn it all off and you're watching housewives or whatever it is you watch (laughs) (laughs) My, my partner watches housewives and I'm just like why, why? But anyway, <laughs> do, do, do you find things sometimes come at you in that moment? Um, I feel like, yeah, I mean, definitely taking breaks. I, I feel like having clarity and just stepping away is really important. Like whether it's TV or the other day. Um, <laughs> so I spent like the last three days 
mixing um, for a project and I didn't realize it, but I hadn't left the house in three days. Like I didn't go anywhere. I didn't drive anywhere. I didn't, I don't think I even walked to the mailbox. And I, and I think like, I am like very much a homebody. Um, but I think like after on that third day, I was like, I was like feeling like pretty at that point, like a little bit blocked. And I was like, I should go on a walk. And then I went on a walk and I, I, I immediately was like, wow, walks are amazing. <laughs> and, and walks are important and going on walks are good because it just taking a break is good. Like stepping away from what you're doing is good because it'll just reset your brain. And it does for me, it does really help me come up with new ideas or um, clear perspective on what I'm going to do next. And especially like, you know, on a day where I'm mixing all day and I'm listening really closely to someone's vocals or to the song all around, it really helps me to not listen or do something else for like 20 or 30 minutes and then come back and then I'll listen. I'll be like, Whoa, this sounds amazing. Or I'll be like, Ooh, okay. I need to do this. This is what I'll do. And then the, the moves are so much faster. Like the changes, the things that I work on or adjust will happen in 10 minutes. Whereas like if I would have just sat there for another 45 minutes trying to do the same thing, I'm, I may have, pushed it even further in the wrong direction <laughs> where taking that break made me do a better job, you know? Thank you very much for listening to this episode with Miriam Caduce of Space Moth. Please go to the Patreon page, become a Patreon subscriber and listen to part two. And there's plenty of part twos with many, 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 many other of the guests I've had. Go to the check out past episodes, see who I've had on. It's quite a lot of people. I don't mean to brag, but it's fucking impressive. Thank you for listening.